Beginning in verse 8, the Word of God says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So I return today to preaching through the pastoral epistles of Paul. So that's 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. And because it's been a few weeks since I uh, last preached from 1st Timothy, it may, be a help, it may be helpful for us to, to remind ourselves where we left off. So the last two sermons I preached from chapter 3 were, um, uh, were Paul's instructions on elders, overseer, overseers, pastors. All the same office, three different terms. And, um, and now we turn our attention to deacons. In the first two sermons, I discussed the office of overseer, which is also referred to in Scripture as elder and pastor. And I explained the biblical restrictions of this office uh, to men and the other qualifications, other biblical qualifications for this office and the task assigned to overseers, elders, and pastors. And I, frankly, I don't have time to re-preach that. So if you missed it, or more likely, you can't remember any of it, that's okay. Then I would just encourage you because today I'm going to reference those sermons a lot. And uh, I'm going to, to hope either you remember it or you'll be faithful to go back and listen to it. So let me give a personal plug. You can go to bensmithsr, bensmithsenior.org. I post all the audio recordings of my sermons there. You can even get sermon notes there. And I would encourage you particularly the last two sermons I preached out of chapter 3 on overseers that you would make, uh, make, your, make the time to go back and, and listen to those. In the first sermon I preached from 1 Timothy, I explained that the reason why I had chosen to preach from 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus uh, was so that we might be instructed from Scripture how the church should be, and this is the phrase I used, properly ordered. In other words, how we are to be set up, governed, and ordered according to Scripture. And I explained my concerns concerning areas where our church and many churches, particularly Baptist churches, are not properly biblically ordered. And so I wanted to preach through these epistles where Paul lays out, he's writing to the church, this is how you ought to behave, this is how you ought to order yourselves, that we might be instructed through the Scripture. And we have said over and over again that no church is perfectly rightly ordered. However, every church must have a heart to be as rightly ordered and faithful to Scripture as possible. So today, as I preach on the scriptural teachings of deacons, I will discuss where the common understanding of the office of deacon in many Baptist churches is not rightly ordered. Because this office for many Baptist churches has been disordered for as long as anyone in living memory can, uh, can remember, 
There are many, many antidotal stories that you and I could tell of dysfunctional behavior that, flo- that flowed out of deacons and, and deacon, um, the office of deacon in the church. And I, I struggled as I was just writing the sermon, what place does the recognition of that dysfunction have as we talk today? Now, I'm going to make an assumption that if you've been around a Baptist church longer than five minutes, you have your own story in that world. And frankly, I don't think it serves us very well today to to rehash those stories because my intention today is not to condemn. My intention today is to call us to a more biblical understanding of how we ought to order our churches. I, I do recognize that not being rightly ordered, by definition, creates dysfunction. And dysfunction creates dissatisfaction and confusion over the purpose of the offices. And then when that confusion and dissatisfaction sets in, there are some common responses to that. One is to reject the office and disband it altogether. And there are some Baptist churches today who have, who have experienced dysfunctional deacon ministry in their churches, and they say, we just don't want to have deacons anymore. I don't think that's a right approach. Others have said, well, we'll limit or, limit or remove the authority or responsibilities from the office. Though I, I appreciate that. The problem with that is if you are limiting or removing the biblically assigned authority to a particular office, I don't think that's a wise move. Others will say, well, we'll create just a new office. We won't have deacons. We'll have new offices that are designed by uh, sort of out of practical wisdom of men. I, 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 was, I received a book about 12 years ago from somebody who was very well celebrated in, in Southern Baptist circles. And it was a whole book on church governance. And I read about half of it. And I got halfway through the book. I had yet to find any connection to the structure of government. This was teaching to a, any model found in Scripture. And I thought, it's a brilliant model for a business. It's an interesting model for a social club. But it's not a faithful biblical understanding of how the church should be set up. And then there's a fourth option. And this is the one I want us to pursue today. And that's to return to a biblical order. A biblical understanding in the responsibilities of an office, the biblical understanding of the task of the office, and a biblical understanding of the authority of the office. Before I go any further, I do want to just give a word of encouragement to you. The most sensitive topics to preach on are those that challenge the way things are done. You have probably heard pushback sometime in your life when you were challenging the way things have been done, and somebody will say to you, well, that's... Never, we, we've never done it that way before, or that's not the way it's done around here. And that same dynamic applies to the pulpit. When you preach on things that challenge the way things have long time been done, that's a sensitive subject. And, and, and these subjects are exponentially higher when such preaching challenges the leadership structure. Because anytime you challenge a leadership structure, somebody is getting more authority and somebody is getting less authority. And that's, that's not always well received. And I'm aware of this reality, and I am sensitive to it. But I want you to know I've been encouraged by by many. And and in fact, I was encouraged even before I began this series out of 1 Timothy that it was the right time in our church to preach this. But frankly, you never know how a church will respond until until you start plowing through the Word together. 
But you have been such an encouragement to me in that in all my interactions with you as I've been preaching these sermons, the, the concerns, the conversations, the questions that have, been, that have bubbled out of these, these sermons have not been resistance to the Word. Most of you have just had concerns and questions and, 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 and want to talk through how does what we are hearing from the Scripture, how do we apply that? How do we do that in practical terms? And that's been such an encouragement to me. In the verses that we read today, verses 8 through 13, Paul gives the qualifications for the office of deacon. And from this passage, I want you to understand, or I hope for you to have a, a, a more biblical understanding of this office, the qualifications for it, and the, and the honor of it. So with that in mind, I'm going to divide our time this morning in these three ways. Number one, I want to talk about just the office. What is the office of deacon? Secondly, I want the majority of this passage and, and, and a significant portion of the sermon this day will be the qualifications for those who are chosen for the office. And then I want to make a case this morning that to be a deacon in a church is a rightly desired position and an honorable position to hold. Let's begin with the office. And I, and I really want to just focus in here on the first two words of verse 8, where, where Paul says, deacons likewise. Deacons likewise. So what he's talking about is he's just given the qualifications for elders. And now he's moving into the, 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 the office and the qualifications for deacon. And he, these two little words, deacon likewise, ties what he's about to say to what he has just said. The offices are not the same. They are not interchangeable. They don't have the same task, but they have related responsibilities. They have related honor and they have related place in the, in the goodness of the structure of the church. Deacons, likewise. Now, first, I think there's a word to be said for the rank of the office. The first two words of verse 8, deacons, likewise, tell us three things. The rank of the office, the importance of the office, and the, the work of the office. I want to begin with the rank. I believe that the office of deacon most commonly found in Baptist churches is not rightly ordered according to Scripture. And as a result, the rank the importance and the work of the office is often misunderstood. In practical terms, in most Baptist churches, the office of deacon is the highest ranking church leadership in the church. Now, even though some may say that the pastor is the leader of the church, in practice, and, and, and often the, 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 even in the governing documents, they testify to, to the deacons being most senior, most authoritative, most powerful leadership in the church. Now, I do not believe that this, comes about, this came about by wicked, malicious design. Now, hear me carefully here. I, I don't think anybody woke up one morning and said, listen, I know what Scripture says. Let's throw it out the window. Let's do something different. I think that has been a result of practical decisions taking precedence over biblical ones over the course of a long period of time. It is, it is natural that over time, practical responses to needs and issues become the norm at the expense of faithfulness to Scripture. And so Christians 
Um, we need to often look back to Scripture and ask the question, are we being most faithful to Scripture? Because the natural response to us is just to continue on with the practical decisions that we've made. Churches codify how they organize and operate in their bylaws, but, but regularly uh, the faithful churches should return to the Scriptures and ask if their bylaws are faithful to the Scripture. And if they're not, we change the bylaws, not the Scriptures. The first word of verse 8 is deacons. This is a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos. In John chapter 2, verse 5, and then in verse 9, the word is used for a waiter of a meal. In first John chapter 2, it says, His mother said to the servants, the diaconus, do whatever he tells you. Then in verse 9, it says, When the master of the feast toasted, uh, tasted the water, now became become wine and, and did not know where it came from, though the servants, the diaconus, who had drawn the water new, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 13, the word is used for a servant of a master. It says, then the, the king said to the attendants, or the diaconos, bind him hand and foot and cast him in the outer darkness. In John chapter 12, this sense of the word is used as a servant of Christ. When it says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servants, diakonoses, be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's used as in other places in Scripture as those who serve the, those who serve the followers of Christ. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul uses this word as an office of the church when he says, deacons also. In this sense, it means one who serves as a deacon with responsibility to the care for the needs of the believers. Now, comparing the titles for the two offices makes clear the rank of the two. Elder, overseer, pastors were to be the leaders of the church, and the deacons, the servants, were to be the servants of the church. Now, it's uncomfortable to discuss the rank of offices because of fear of being accused of self-elevation or of fear of causing offense. When those who do not have the responsibility for, uh, of leadership are given the authority of leadership, it, it, it creates dysfunction within the church. When those who do not have the responsibility of leadership are given the authority of leadership, what tends to happen is the hard things of leadership don't happen. It's a discussion for another day, but very often I, I get questions about why do we not practice regenerate church membership? Why do we not practice church discipline? And I think the reason why those things have, have, have passed into obscurity into most Baptist churches, even though we find them very clear in our history, we understand them biblically to be a part of our calling, but the reason why they don't happen is that those who have the authority 
are not those who have the right, who are not in the right leadership positions. And those who are in the right leadership, leadership positions don't have the accompanying authority. When those with the responsibility of leadership are not given authority, their labor will not be effective. And I think when churches turn upside down the rank of these two offices, meaning they put deacons higher than the elders, overseers, and pastors, many of the things that were tasked for the overseers and pastors and elders to do simply do not happen. We need to understand the rank of the office. We need to understand the importance of the office. The second word of verse 8 points to the importance of the office of deacons. So he says, deacons likewise. The word likewise, there's a marker of similarity which approximates identity. In other words, um, just as, in the same way, in like manner. The qualifications for deacons are very similar to those for overseers, pastors, and elders. And I think this testifies to the importance of this office. Deacons are not an afterthought. Deacons are a biblically assigned office of the church that have important role in the church. With any office or job, the greater the importance or responsibility, the greater the qualifications. If it didn't matter who were deacons, then it wouldn't matter the qualifications of those who serve in this role. But it mattered so much that Paul, likewise, after giving qualifications for elders, also gave qualifications for deacons. And that points to the importance of this office within the life of the church. The task of a deacon may be logistical or practical, but they are not menial The work of deacons is gospel-focused and thus requires them to also be gospel-qualified for the task. Not having rightly ordered deacons has resulted in the office of deacon for many churches functioning not as those who see their work as gospel-focused, but seeing their work more in the sense of a board of directors. This leads to choosing men to be deacons based on secular qualities rather than biblical qualities. I I grew up in a church context where what qualified you to be a a deacon in the church was, were were you a good businessman? Were you a good community leader? Were you a large, large contributor to the church? When secular qualities drive deacon selection, the testimony of deacons is diminished. Deacons who, you'll, you'll begin to have deacons who do not attend worship faithfully. And that's just, that, that should never be an issue. Can you imagine having a pastor who wouldn't show up for church regularly? Why in the world would churches have deacons who are not faithful to the worship of the church? You have deacons who are not part of the teaching ministry of the church. A deacon doesn't attend Sunday school. You have deacons who don't live according to the church covenant. That may be public consumption of alcohol and drunkenness. It may be vulgar speech. The importance of the office of deacon does not come from the church's, uh, from, from the, office, uh, 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 the office's authority in the church. It comes from the gospel-focused work in the church. Deacons, likewise, ought to push into us a sense of all that like the authority and the importance of elders, pastors, and overseers in the church, deacons share in that and should rightly hold this office with a sense of importance. The rank, the importance, and then, of course, the work of the office. The most instructive scripture text for the work of deacons is found in Acts chapter 6. 
Next, chapter 6, it tells us that conflict had arisen in the church over the Greek-speaking Jews, feeling like their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of uh, uh, help resources. So it was a cultural deal. It was a it was a tribal thing. My people are not getting taken care of as well as the other people. And there was conflict in the church. Now, you may not understand the dynamics of Greek and, uh, and, and Jewish widows, but you understand if you feel slighted or your people are not getting served as well as someone else. And there was conflict that grew up in the church. And this complaint seems to have been merited because the apostles did not argue against the complaint. They didn't say, no, that's not right. No, their response was, then we need to appoint deacons. They did recognize that addressing the, the logistical challenge would take them away from their main task of preaching God's word. In Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Does that mean that serving tables is not worthy task? No, it just says, listen, we can serve tables, but we shouldn't give up the preaching of the word, which is the supreme task and our, given to us to serve tables. And so, the, 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 and the, by the way, the word serve there is the same word as di diaconos or deacons. And so they instructed the church to choose seven men to be appointed for this duty. Choose seven servants, seven deacons that will take care of this task so that we can be about the work of preaching God's word. This is the first reference to deacons in the New Testament. The work of deacons is to be responsible for the logistical work of ministry so that the overseers, pastors, and elders can devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When the rank of the office of deacon is disordered and the importance of the task of both the overseer, elders, pastors, and deacons is practical rather than biblical, the result is that those who do the logistical work of the ministry will typically be the pastors. This is not to say that an overseer, elder, or pastor is above the logistical work of the church. It is a recognition that time and efforts are not unconstrained. And when an elder, overseer, or pastor gives his attention to logistical issues, this takes away his effort and his energy and his attention away from the preaching of the word. So in Acts chapter 6, they just said, listen, it is not right for us to give our attention to these things. We need to be giving our attention to the Word. So let us have servants in the church that manage and take care of, be responsible for the logistical work so that we might be about the spiritual work. The work of the deacons is focused on the preaching of the, of the Word in that they take responsibility for the logistical task so that the overseer, elder, pastors can give attention to the Word. It's interesting, just as a practical word, that one of the most, one of the great frustrations I've observed in many men who have been elected to serve as deacon is confusion as to what to do other than attend meetings. What do I do as a deacon? I think a more biblical structure for deacons would be to connect the office of deacon to the responsibility of deacon or to the tasks of deacons. In other words, rather than have a general deacon body with no defined tasks, deacons would be elected to a responsibility. In other words, if you were elected deacon, you'd be elected to a deacon of. 
That could be any needed task within the church. Examples could be a deacon of budgeting or a deacon of building maintenance or a deacon of broadcast ministry or a deacon of lawn maintenance or a deacon of baptistry preparation or a deacon of the Lord's Supper preparation. There's a thousand things that have to happen just for us to meet in this room every Sunday. And those logistical tasks have to be taken care of by someone. And the idea there was that deacons would be assigned a task rather than just a general nondescript board of a a group that doesn't really have a a definition. You'd be a deacon of, and here's how this would work. When new tasks arise, the church would elect new deacons. And when tasks evaporated, then that deacon position would go away as well. The office, the rank, the importance, and the work leads us to the main part of this passage, which is the qualifications for deacons. Like with the overseers, I want to divide this through by the requirements and the restrictions or the requirements and the, and the disqualifiers. So let's begin with the, with the requirements. He starts in the second part of verse 8 with... Um, Deacons must, uh, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Let deacons, and this is verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. So the requirements of a deacon. Now here, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to uh, not give as much attention to these qualifications that I gave great attention to when talking about the overseers, elders, and pastors. Again, here uh, Paul says deacons likewise. So he's giving a, the, the qualifications for deacons are a little bit different. They're a little bit nuanced than they, than they were for overseers, elders, and pastors, but they are linked in that there are some strong similarities. The different offices have different responsibilities, thus the list of qualifications are not identical. However, both offices are connected by the similar goal of faithfully making known the Word of God and the hope of salvation. Therefore, the qualifications are more similar than they are dissimilar. Now, in the sermon I preached on the qualifications for overseers, I gave great attention to some of the qualifications listed here also for deacons. And For those that I dealt with in that sermon, I'm not going to give as much attention here. And I just would encourage you to go back and and listen uh, to that sermon. As for the overseers, pastors, and elders, Paul gives both requirements and restrictions for deacons and that's uh, for, for them. And that's what I'm going to do here as well. Five requirements is what Paul gives here for, for deacons. The first is that they be dignified. Dignified. The word translated as dignified means not to, not, it doesn't mean to be stuffy or austere, but it, it has the sense of behaving with befitting behavior. It means pertaining to appropriate, befitting behavior and implying dignity and respect. A deacon should carry himself everywhere he goes, mindful of who he is, who he serves, and who he represents. That he behaves, that he speaks, that he carries himself befitting to his office. Moderating his behavior and speech in honor, to honor the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, 
skipping over some restrictions because we're going to come back to that. In verse 9, he says they must hold the, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Paul's instructing deacons that they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The word that is translated as mystery does not mean uh, something unknowable. It simply means something that was unknown before. The, the content of that which has not been known before, but which has been revealed to an in-group or restricted constituency. In other words, when you come to saving faith in Jesus, God reveals to you the mystery of salvation, that you are not saved by your works, but you are saved only through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the mystery of the gospel. Deacons must be believers in Jesus. Can I say that again? Deacons must be believers in Jesus. Just as a baseline, there should be no leadership in any place of Scripture that, that the leader cannot give a basic testimony of faith. They must hold to the mystery of the gospel. They must hold fast to the gospel and not be men who are, uh, who, who are, who are wishy-washy in their faith. They must be firm in their faith with a clear conscience. The word their clear conscience means pure and clean. They should have no reservations concerning the gospel. They should have no part of their lives reserved from gospel transformation. In other words, there shouldn't be parts of their life that are redeemed, like how they behave at church, and parts of their lives that are not redeemed. In other words, how they behave on the golf course or in the deer stand or out on the lake. Then in verse 10, it says that deacons should be tested now, testing imply, is, is implicit both in both lists of qualifications. And, and it's, it is an assumption here that to test someone means that it requires that you know them, you've observed them, that you can testify to whether or not they have met the qualifications. The word tested simply means to try to learn the genuineness of something by examination. In verse 10, it is explicit that deacons should be tested before they serve as deacon. Because deacons are tasked with logistical work of the church, there is always a temptation. Listen to me, church. There is always a temptation to elect whoever is willing to do the work. Sometimes, if you'll just, listen, in most Baptist churches, if you'll just show up, you'll get to in an office somewhere. We'll put you on a committee somewhere. Because there's always more work to be done than there are workers to do it. The willingness to do the work only speaks to the desire. That's part of it. But, and the ability to do the work only speaks to skill. But deacons are more than laborers. They perform gospel work that can only be done by gospel-qualified qualified, gospel qualified men. Those chosen to serve as deacons would, should demonstrate to the church before their election to the office of deacon that they desire to do the work, that they have the needed skills to do the work, and that they are biblically qualified to do the work. Verse 12, the first part of verse 12 says they should be husbands of one wife. I, I dealt with this, quali uh, uh, this, uh, this qualification extensively in the sermon on overseers. I think that same uh, teaching applies here. I explained in that sermon why there is a higher standard for those who serve in the church leadership and, and the three issues that should inform the church on the issue that, that the question here is, is both the issue of divorce and remarriage and whether or not remarriage is permitted under Scripture. And secondly, that marriage is a testimony 
testimony to the gospel. And so um, those who, who are living out that testimony must have a good testimony both to the church and the world. And third, this is, a, this is an issue of a, a testimony in the church. Even if divorce is biblically permitted, it still has a, a negative testimony uh, on the church. And so there, there's, a, there's a higher standard expected of those who serve in leadership. And then the second part of verse 12, it says, manage his household well. This also is a similar qualification for those who are overseers, elders, and pastors. I said then, I want to reiterate here, that this is not a requirement to be married or to have children. In other words, you don't have to be married and have children before you can be a deacon. And it's not a demand for perfect children because that would disqualify all of us. It is a demand that deacons manage his household for the glory of God. In other words, before we give you responsibility for the management of God's house, you must demonstrate dignified, orderly management of your own house. Paul also gives restrictions, and he lists three restrictions for, uh, that disqualify men to serve as deacons. He says in verse 8, they cannot be double-tongued. The word there means contradictory behavior based on pretense or hypocrisy. The gospel is true, and those who do gospel work must be free from a lying or double tongue. Anyone given responsibility for the resources and logistical ministries of the church must be trustworthy and honest. And trustworthiness and honesty also relate to the consistency in your speech and behavior. In other words, you should be able to trust a deacon that what he says is what he means, and what he means is what he says, and he doesn't say one thing to you and another thing to someone else. A man who speaks and behaves one way in the church and another way beyond or outside the church is disqualified from the office of deacon. Now, you... Certainly, one who is a liar is disqualified. But I also think that anyone who, who speaks in a manner that is cleaned up for the church and maybe more honest other places is also disqualified. So just some examples here would be a man who is clean language when he's at church, but he cusses like a sailor when he goes to the ball game or when he's out with friends. A man who, or a man who speaks to the overseers, elders, pastors with respect and honor and gives support while at church, but when out and about speaks disparagingly and critically and, and unkindly about them. Cannot be double-tongued. Secondly, cannot be addicted to much wine. This is similar to the disqualifier of, that, that was given to elders and overseers and pastors of not being a drunkard. Drunkenness is a sign of lack of self-control. It is a sign that the fruit of the Spirit is not being born in your life. Drunkenness is a sin. Ephesians chapter 5 says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. No one who is participating in debauchery should be elevated to leadership within the church. And he also says they cannot be greedy. Greedy specifically for dishonest gain. This is similar to the disqualifier for overseers of being a lover of money in verse 3. But deacons must be ruled, deacons must be ruled by the love for the Lord and, not the, and the advancement of God's kingdom, not controlled by the love of money that leads to dishonest gain. This doesn't mean that deacons can't be men who do well in finance. But it, but it does mean that they cannot be men who are driven by dishonest, greedy gain. 
And then interesting here, Paul also gives some qualifications for deacons' wives in verse 11. Let's look at it. In verse 11, he says, Their wives likewise, that word likewise, just like in verse 8, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Again here, Paul uses the word likewise to reference deacons' wives. And I I think it means similar to what it means in verse 8, in that by using this word, Paul makes clear that the same standards that are expected of deacons also apply to their wives if, if, if the deacons are married. And it testifies to the important role that they play within the church. The wives participate in the work and ministry of the deacons. And he, and he gives here three requirements. They must be dignified. This is the same word used in verse 8 that is translated as dignified. Like their husbands, wives of deacons should behave and speak in a manner that is befitting of the office of deacon and the church and the gospel that they represent. They should be sober-minded. The word there simply means to res- having a restrained manner Being sober-minded is to have self-control in mind and action. In other words, they can control their tongue. They can control their actions. They're sober-minded. They're they're restrained in their behavior. And then it says, and faithful in all things. They're trustworthy, tested, and faithful, dependable, reliable. They cannot be slanderers. Again here, this was connected to being double-tongued of the deacon, but... They cannot engage in slander. To slander is to insult others who are made in the image of God. In the church, this kind of speech distracts from the the gospel work and it sows disunity among the body. And choosing a deacon, the character and maturity of his wife are as much of a consideration as his own character. Then in verse 13, I think that verse points to the honor of, of the office. I want to say a word of just a personal word here. Because the office of deacon for so long has been disordered, it also has, I think, created a lot of dishonor. And because it's created a lot of dishonor for the office, I, I have had, some of you have said to me, I don't want to be a deacon. Be- because you have seen it function in some dysfunctional ways, You don't want to have any part of that. I can appreciate that. But like I did, I speech a whole sermon on on the goodness of aspiring to the office of overseer. And I just want to take a moment here to encourage you, church, that the office of deacon is an honorable task and one that ought to be strived for. Just two things. First, let me read the the, the verse 13, and then I want to just say two things about it. Number one, let me read the the text. It says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Two things here. First, a worthy labor. The last verse here in this section speaks to the honor due to the office of deacon. Paul says that those who serve well obtain, or or that can also be translated, or purchase for themselves a good standing. The word good standing means standing in society, implying rank or status. In other words, they they gain or they purchase for themselves a, a high status within the church. In our cultural context, we're uncomfortable with those kind of words like standing and rank and status. 
we tend to avoid them. But I would just encourage you that verse 13 is connected to what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 23. You'll know this verse. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, Jesus says, The greatest among you shall be your servants, diaconos. Now there he's not talking about the office of deacons. He's talking about the act of service. In other words, in the church, what attains for you high status and great honor is those who do great service. Standing, rank, and status in the kingdom of God and in the church are earned through service. Men, listen to me. Let this be an encouragement to you that you should desire and strive to be qualified to serve as a deacon. It is an honorable labor. Did you hear me? It is an honorable labor. And it is an, a labor when done well that gains for you a God-honored status in the church, a good standing in the church. Church, church members, listen to me. Let this be an encouragement to you to honor and celebrate those who serve well among us. In other words, what we should celebrate is what God celebrates, good service, beautiful diaconos in the church. Celebrate that, honor that. Let those be the greatest among us. A worthy labor and a worthy testimony. The second part of verse 13 says that in addition to gaining a good standing, deacons who serve well also gain great confidence in the faith. And the word that is translated as confidence means a state of boldness and confidence, sometimes implying intimidating circumstances. Boldness or courage it can be translated as. In other words, when you serve the Lord well, in season and out of season, when it is recognized and when it uh, is not, when it is celebrated and when it is not, you live out a worthy testimony to the gospel. You bear witness to the boldness of your faith. Deacons, your labor may be practical and logistical, but it is not meaningless. Your labor supports the gospel work. Your labor testifies to your confidence in the faith that the only way unto salvation is through Jesus. So if that means that we have to have somebody that shows up to open the door so the lost can come in the room and hear the gospel, then be the one who opens the door. If it means that somebody has to turn on the air conditions or turn on the lights or mow the grass or make sure the bathrooms are, are working, be the one that does that service so the gospel can be heard and preached. Be confident in your faith, bold in your work. Your labor supports the gospel. Your labor testifies to your confidence in the faith. Work with purpose and dignity for the glory and the honor of the Lord. When you travel by air, you interact with many people before you ever get on the plane. From those who work at the ticket counter to the security personnel to gate agents, there are many people who take care of a thousand tasks to allow a commercial airport to function. When your plane is ready, if you've flown recently, when your plane is finally ready for you to board and you walk down the jetway and enter into the plane, you typically enter the plane through the door just behind the cockpit. 
And really the only personnel that you interact with is usually the door is open and to your left you can see the pilots preparing for the flight. And usually right there in the doorway are some flight attendants that will welcome you as you take your seat. And you make your way down the aisle, you sit in your seat, you buckle up, you prepare for the flight. And the, and, and the pilot will then, when they push back from the gate, they'll, they'll, they'll taxi out to the, to the runway, they line up. And when they push that throttle forward and you are pushed back in your seat, as the plane takes off, you typically are only paying attention to the fact that the pilot is flying, the flight attendants are managing the cabin. But in order for your plane to take off, there were a lot of things that had to happen. Somebody had to make sure that plane was mechanically sound to be in the air. Aren't you thankful? <laughs> Aren't you thankful for the mechanics that, that certified that engine to fly? I sure am. Somebody had to bring the fuel truck over and put enough fuel in that plane so that when it took off, it had enough fuel to get you from where you're departing from to where you're arriving. Most of us never think anything about the amount of fuel on a board of a plane, but aren't you glad somebody calculated that and made sure there was enough on that plane so it could take off? There are other things. There were people in the tower who made sure that when that plane took off, the airspace that it was going to fly into was clear and no other plane would collide with it. Aren't you thankful for that? You give very little attention to that. Not to mention those who prepared that wonderful food that's on airplanes today. And, and, and all the other things that had to happen. The baggage claim. Sometimes you look out the window and you'll see the, 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 uh, the, the, the people that are managing the baggage, baggages, uh, bags, you'll, you'll see them working. You have no idea how your bag got from the ticket counter to the plane, but you're thankful somebody took care of that. And when you get to your destination, somehow miraculously, it shows up at the carousel. You don't know how that worked, but you're thankful somebody did it. And the reality of it is, in order for that pilot to press forward, on the throttle that you could take flight into the air. It wasn't just the pilot doing the work. The pilot flew the plane, but there were a thousand other people who did all kinds of logistical tasks to make that flight possible. And here's the point. The most important thing that the church does is preach the gospel. When an overseer, elder, pastor stands in this pulpit to preach, there were a thousand of the things that had to happen in order for this sermon to take place. If the church is to be effective, its leadership must be effective. And for their leadership to be effective, the, the overseers, pastors, elders need to be effective at being in the Word, preaching the Word, and devoting themselves to prayer. And we need deacons who will take up the honorable task of being the servants of the church so that this can happen for the glory of God. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. 
I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 10.30 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.